Well, good morning, y'all. Welcome. So thankful that you're here and thankful for those that are uh, watching at Hampton Cove right now and also online. Y'all, this week I've been um, really parked in the book of Acts, but really uh, there was a moment this, uh, this week in the morning where I was in just the book of Philippians and sitting in Philippians chapter two. And in the best of ways, the Lord was just wrecking me. I mean, it's an amazing chapter of scripture. And I want to share some of that as we begin uh, this morning. Philippians chapter two, we read, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, hear this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Y'all, there is a union with Jesus where our lives begin to change into the likeness of Jesus. Our desires mirror Jesus's desires. The way that we love begins to look more like the way that Jesus loved and the way we live begins to look more and more like the way that Jesus lived. And this is God's plan for your life. This is God's plan for my life. This is God's plan uh, for the church. You know, we travel and we do uh, a lot of different summer camps and a lot of the different events throughout the year. And I would say one of the biggest questions that you get asked by, uh, by people is, what is God's plan for my life? What is God's purpose for my life? And y'all, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. And it's to submit our lives to our God and make room for his lordship in our lives. That's when our hearts become fertile land for the spirit of God to do his work in our lives. There's an amazing outcome to a life lived in submission to the spirit of Jesus. And the first thing is this, that we have purpose. We stop pursuing the things of this world, which only lead to emptiness or even worse. I mean, we're told that one day, uh, everything that we pursue this side of heaven, outside of the gospel, outside of Jesus, it is gonna rust and it is gonna go to the moss. That if we are pursuing the things of this world, it's gonna lead to emptiness. But if we're pursuing the things of the Lord, it leads to purpose. And I don't know about you, but when I try to take control, it's very quickly, I, I start to veer off track and it doesn't look very good, right? Like when we try to take the keys, things just go awry quickly. And my heart is this, and I hope this is our heartbeat together at River Tree, that we would have a heart like John the Baptist, that our prayer would be this, that the Lord would increase and that we would decrease. That he would increase, that he would become greater and we would become lesser, that when people see us, they would see Jesus first. That it's about the gospel, that he would increase, that he would become greater and we would become less. And y'all, I think the adverse of this is true as well. Are you wondering maybe this morning why you're not sensing God in your life? Or maybe you feel far away from the Lord, or maybe you feel stagnant and you've stopped growing in your relationship with Jesus and he feels far away. And I'd ask this question, who or what is increasing in your life? Who or what is increasing in your life? Is it Jesus? And if it is Jesus, isn't Jesus, it will be something else it will be something else and it will lead us to a place of emptiness and stagnation in our relationship with the Lord. If our treasure isn't Jesus, it will be something else. 
We have a purpose within the kingdom. And the second thing I'd say is this, we see the kingdom expand. We see the world around us drawn to the gospel message that you yourself are living out. We see this detailed all throughout the book of Acts. We'll be there in a moment, but Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four, we see the church pursuing the things of the Lord, pursuing what he wants next for his body, what he wants next for his church, what he wants next for his people. And you know what we're told? Day by day, people were being saved. Day by day, the kingdom was expanding and it was growing and God and his miracle power was using his people. People like you and me, and the church began to expand. The kingdom continued to expand. Why? Because the church was submitted to the Lord and living out their purpose. So Philippians 2, it's been uh, really the ground, the framework for this series. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Let that sink in for a moment this morning. God doesn't need to use us. God doesn't have to use us, but the creator of everything chooses to use us. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe chooses to use his people. So we're in a series right now. It's a, it's called Working Out. I'm not going to lie. When, uh, when Ross pitched the name of the series, my first thought was like, we get it, dude. You do CrossFit. Like, we, we get it. I know you can probably, most CrossFitters can beat me up. I'll leave a little margin. I don't know. If you're a CrossFitter, I'm sorry. But it, you, CrossFit's a thing. You know someone's a CrossFitter in the first 30 seconds you meet them. Am I right? Anyone? Come on. Right now, I'm going to stop because someone will beat me up or beat me in like a pull-up competition when this is over. But uh, yeah, Working Out. We're in this series. Uh, please, if you're a CrossFitter, don't. Well, you could be offended a little bit. I don't, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Um, yeah, I'll stop. <laughs> so this series is all about this. What are the measures we believe as a church that we can look at to gauge spiritual growth and maturity as a church? This is what the river tree elders. This is what the leadership has prayed over. What are the measures we believe as a church that we can look at to gauge spiritual growth and maturity? We've already gone through four. I'm going to touch on two today, but really park on the second one of these. But here are the two that are left. And as we finish the series, when did I last introduce Christ into the conversation? When did I last introduce Christ into the conversation? You know, Paul says that we are ambassadors of Jesus. Think about that for a minute. An ambassador is a representative, that we are representatives of Jesus this side of heaven. So I, I, I'll tell you, one of the metrics that I use oftentimes with myself, and I think this is especially applicable in a COVID age and that where things have become increasingly digital, I would ask this. This is, this is the metric that I use oftentimes, and it's not the end all, but I think it's a good one. And it's if you took a perusal through your social media platforms or someone who doesn't know you did, what would they know about you? Who or what are you an ambassador of? Is it a political party? Is it the next movie that's coming out? What is it? And some of those things aren't bad, right? But would they know that you're an ambassador of Christ? Would they know that Jesus is the passion of your life, that the gospel is the passion of your life? Maybe just take some inventory of that at some point and look at it and think through that. If someone who didn't know you looked at it, what would they know about you? What you're an ambassador or who you're an ambassador of? And this is where we're going to land this morning and dive into this. Where does Jesus want me to go next? Pursuing what is next. River Tree longs to see the kingdom advance until Christ returns for his church. So we can encourage each person to move closer to reflecting the complete image of Christ in every area of life. So pursuing what's next, how do we do that? Let's talk a little bit 
about this. The first thing is this, God has uniquely fashioned, positioned, and called you to make an impact for God's kingdom. Hear that. God has uniquely fashioned, positioned, and called you to make an impact for God's kingdom. Psalm 139, we read this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Hey, can we just pause for a second? That the psalmist is talking about the way that he has been fashioned by a creator. And then he says, I'm going to praise you because I know that your works are magnificent. I know that full well. Think about that for a moment. The way that you have been fashioned, it points to a creator. And we can say, thank you. We just look at the way we've been created and say, thank you. It should lead us to praise because we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And I pray that we can say, I know that full well. First Peter chapter two, we read, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He's chosen you that you would declare him, that you would declare his praise. God is uniquely fashioned position and called you to make an impact for God's kingdom. You know, can I be honest? One of the things that's been most difficult about moving to a brand new city, moving to a brand new church, really for our family kind of starting over. We didn't know anyone in Alabama and we're, we're here now in Huntsville. One of the difficult things has been this. Uh, there's still so many of you that we don't know. There's so many people who are still watching online. There's a lot of us who are still being very careful because of COVID and, and it's hard. Like I, I wish that I knew more about you. One of my favorite things in the world is having people over to our house around our dinner table and just getting to know people. And I long for the day where we are all back together. We are, we are praising Jesus together in this space and we are available to get together and spend time together and commune together because there's a part of us that is missing that and longs for that and needs that. It's why in the book of Hebrews, we're told not to forsake the assembly because it is so needed for the Christ follower to be in community. And I, I'm just telling you, like I mourn it. I mourn that we've not been able to get to know each other a little bit better. So I, uh, I've been married to my wife now for almost 12 years. I got really nervous. I almost forgot in that moment, by the way, I was like, search deep. This will be, she's not here right now. She'll be at the second service. So woo. All right. But <laughs> we've been married uh, almost 12 years. And y'all, if you've not met Deanna yet, I'm just going to tell you, she is the most amazing person. Like she is one of those people, she's been so uniquely fashioned where she can walk into a room and I'm telling you, you will feel loved. She loves so deeply and so fiercely and none of it's fake. I mean, it just exudes from my wife and I love it so much because I'm more of the Debbie Downer guy, like I'm not really actually, it's not that bad, but she just eclipses it, all right? She just loves people so well. And when we do camps, one of the things that I see where I just see Deanna operating exactly in the way that she's been fashioned, positioned in this unique way. I see it when we do summer camps, like I will finish leading worship and I'll come off the stage and I'm so tired. I'm just like ready to go back and go to sleep. And I'll walk out in the lobby and every single time, uh, Deanna will be with a group of students and they're just laughing and spending time together. And other times I'll walk out and Deanna will be weeping with a student and praying over them. And I'm like, how does this never end? Like, do you get tired? Does it ever end for you? Because I'm going to the hotel room and getting some sleep right now. But Deanna just has this uncanny ability to make the people around her feel loved and welcome. And I long for the day where you get to meet her and spend some time with her. 
But what else is amazing to me is that I have a one-year-old daughter and already at one year old, I can see how she's been uniquely fashioned. It's amazing how her personality is already coming to life. I'm going to do, uh, this is just because I want you guys to see my family a little bit, but we just celebrated uh, Elsie. Her name's Eleanor. Uh, her first birthday. This is her. Is that just, come on, y'all. Oh, just the cutest. And this last one uh, coming up. Okay, look, if you guys have never eaten at Fresco at Stove House, you've been missing out on your whole life, okay? And if you don't like chicken shawarma, I'm not sure if we can be friends, but that's where this picture was taken. She's just the sweetest. Look at that. Look, if you don't like this sermon, at least like that picture, all right? Like, you can leave here and be like, at least his daughter's cute. We don't know about the guy, though. We just don't know about him. But what's amazing is that already I've seen how my daughter has been uniquely fashioned. It's pretty incredible. We went to a Super Bowl party for the high school students a couple weeks ago. And y'all, if you've not met Josh Evans and his wife, Amelia yet, they are incredible. They are amazing. I feel really awkward because they're directly in front of me right now. So I'm not making eye contact with you guys. I don't give compliments to give eye contact. It's just weird. I'm just kidding. But they're amazing. And they were uh, doing this Super Bowl party. And we showed up and there was a, there was a big group of girls who were sitting by the stage. And I'm telling you, as soon as we walked in, we put Elsie down and it was like a beeline for these girls. So she just became like center of attention and was eating it up. And I'm like, dude, that stresses me out. I'm like, can we just talk to one person and do some coffee? But Elsie's just eating it up. Like already a little miss extrovert at one year old. It's incredible. I'll tell you another thing that's really sweet. She just started like giving kisses, which is just the sweetest thing ever. and melts my heart every time but she really wants to be friends with our kitty cat and he's just not having it. Like it's not, it's, it ain't happening. Mr. Kitty's like, get out of my face. But Elsie thinks that kissing him is a full blown headbutt to the face. It, I mean, it's just bam. I'm like, this is going to end poorly at some point. All right. I, I just, I, I'm looking, I'm prophesying to the future that this is going to end poorly for Elsie. But it's just so amazing that even just my one-year-old daughter, you can see how the Lord has uniquely fashioned her. And y'all, I look forward to the day where the Lord uses her and uses her. And what's amazing is even in the midst of COVID, he already has. I mean, in the midst of a season that was just full of a lot of difficulty for so many of us, we just had this amazing, precious ball of joy in our lives. God has uniquely fashioned a position and called you to make an impact for his kingdom. Just as a side, a side note here, I want to say that this is true of your experiences as well. I had a ton of illustrations for this, but I'm not going to go there because you probably have a ton as well. But think of the times in your life where you've been going through something and you're like, I don't know if anyone gets me or gets the difficulty I'm going through. How many times it's happened and all of a sudden God sends the right person who's gone through something similar to speak into your life. I know that's happened to you. It may be a word of encouragement and maybe uh, like Romans 12 says, just to mourn with those who mourn, they come alongside you and mourn, or maybe it's to rejoice in something that's happening, or maybe that's happened for you where you showed up, someone sharing their story and all of a sudden you go, I have a, I have a word. I've been here because you've had this experience that allows you to speak into someone's life. We pursue, this is our application. We pursue what's next by being attentive and present with people in such a way that God can use you to speak into their lives. Maybe this looks like praying for opportunities to meet those that have needs throughout your week. Maybe it looks like opening our ears and hearts to hear other stories and looking for a way to be an encouragement. Maybe it looks like slowing down enough to hear someone's pain and mourning with those who mourn. Why? Because you have been fashioned and positioned and called by God to make a kingdom impact and to see the kingdom of God expand. So don't miss those moments. In the midst of our busyness, let's hit pause 
and have hearts and eyes to see the people around us as image bearers and to speak into their lives. The second thing is this, pursuing what's next always involves pursuing others. Pursuing what's next always involves pursuing others. We read in John chapter 20, after the resurrection of Jesus, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, hear this, I am sending you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. We see God commissioning his people to make an impact for the kingdom all throughout the scriptures. We see it woven throughout the tapestry of all of the scriptures. I mean, even the Old Testament, we're gonna be in the book of Joshua soon and I'm so pumped about it, but we see in Joshua and Deuteronomy 31 where where, uh, the Lord is commissioning Joshua after Moses. And what does he say? He says, be strong and courageous. And why? For I am with you always. And then he says, I will not leave nor forsake you. And then we see this woven all throughout the tapestry of scripture. And then it's amazing because we see it culminate with the disciples in the great commission, a commission that is for me and you. All throughout the scripture, there's a commissioning of God's people by the authority of God, by the authority of Jesus, therefore go. Matthew 28, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We see this commissioning. We see the apostles and the church pursuit of what was next for them all throughout the book of Acts. And that's kind of where we're gonna park for the rest of this. We're gonna see the unfolding of this commissioning, this pursuit of what was next found in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, This is Jesus has just spent 40 days with his disciples and here's what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here is Jesus commissioning his disciples out. We're really gonna spend some time with Philip in a moment, but I just wanna talk about the unfolding up to the moment of Philip being sent out to Samaria in the Ethiopian eunuch. So in Acts chapter one, Jesus commissions them to go out. He promises the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter two, the spirit of God descends on his people and all of a sudden revival breaks out. And we see Peter give quite possibly one of the greatest sermons we have ever read about before. And then then we read this, that day by day, the Lord was adding to their numbers, those who were being saved because they were living on mission. They were living on purpose and they were pursuing what was next. And they were seeing the kingdom of God expand by saying yes to the commissioning of the Lord. 3,000 people got saved. In Acts chapter three, we read of Peter who's going around and these miracles are taking place and healing is taking place in the name of Jesus. It's unbelievable. And then in Acts chapter four, we read that 5,000 men have now been grafted into the kingdom of God. So that's probably between 10 and 20,000 people. The expansion of the kingdom is going and going and going, and it is a force to be reckoned with. And what's amazing, just side note, 2,000 years later, we're still seeing that. And we are commissioned to be a part of that. That's what's incredible, that we have a God who would choose to use us to see the kingdom 
expand. And then in Acts chapter five, we see the Sanhedrin come together. The, the elders of Judaism gather to figure out how to stop what's happening because they're like, we've got to stop. This is like a freight train and people are coming to know this Jesus and we've got to stop it. And there's this amazing moment. I just want to hit pause on this where Gamaliel uh, he, he's a Pharisee and he says to them, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone and let them go. For if their purpose or activity is from human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. Y'all, you've been commissioned to do the same, to go therefore and make disciples. And if it is of God, it will not fail. The kingdom will expand and the authority of Jesus. And then in Acts chapter six, we read uh, this moment where, where strife begins to happen within uh, the community of believers for the first times. We have these Hellenistic Jews and these Hellenistic Jews were Greek speaking and uh, they also adhered to Greek culture and to the Hebraic Jews who followed the, uh, the Hebrew language and were more traditional Jews. There was enmity between them. The Hebraic Jews looked down on the Hellenistic Jews. And what you see in this passage is that the widows are being overlooked and uh, the heart of the, of the apostles are broken. So they appoint deacons to oversee this community to make sure that these Hellenistic Jews are not looked down upon any longer because they've been grafted into the family of God. They are children of the father. And then in Acts chapter seven, we see Stephen, one of the deacons with the approval of Saul, who later would be Paul. Uh, he's martyred and persecution erupts in Jerusalem against the church. And then we land in Acts chapter eight, and that's where we're gonna park for the rest of this morning. Acts chapter eight. Verse one, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Kent Hughes, he says this, the outreach of the church might never have reached beyond Jerusalem if it had not been for Stephen's death and the intensifying persecution it precipitated. Following the church throughout Acts is like following a wounded deer through a forest. Drops of blood mark the trail. In the face of adversity, when their circumstances became overwhelming, in the face of persecution, the church and the kingdom expanded. When hope may have seemed lost because they were seeing their brothers being killed and their sisters being killed, the kingdom continued to expand. What's amazing, y'all, we'll read in just one second, is that there is a promise from Jesus about his bride. And the promise is this, that the gates of hell will not prevail. Hear that. Because I know it's been a difficult year for a lot of people, and I know it's been a difficult year for the church writ large. But guess what? No amount of difficulty can stand against Jesus. The gates of hell shall not prevail over his church. Y'all, I'm like ready for an amen this morning. I'm gonna like start kicking things. I'm like, I'm so pumped. It's amazing. And we read this in Matthew 16, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If our God is for us, who can stand against us? None, nobody. The kingdom will expand and God uses his people. It's amazing. 
That's our pursuit of what is next, to see the kingdom expand, to see the church grow. And not, not that there's more people in this room, but more people come to know the name of Jesus and declare the name of Jesus. And the gospel goes forth to the ends of the earth. How and why? By the authority and the power of Jesus. All authority and power is given to him, therefore go. So we continue in Acts chapter eight. Those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. You know what struck me this week? In Acts chapter eight, verse one, the apostles stayed behind in Jerusalem, but it is the laity, it is the person in the pews who are scattered amongst the nations. And then we read in verse four, those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. R.C. Sproul says this, the early church spread the faith, not through professional clergy, but through the laity. All the people took the gospel to the outer regions of the empire. People like you, that's how the kingdom expanded. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but then the promise of Matthew 28 to Judea and Acts 1 and Samaria and to the ends of the earth happened by the people. The people went out, the kingdom expanded, and the church grew. Verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Why is this so significant? I don't want to take a ton of time on this, but it's so significant that Philip would end up in Samaria. In 722 BC, the Assyrians had taken uh, the Jewish people in Samaria captive. And when they were in their captivity, there was intermarriage, which was a big no-no in Judaism. And then in 587 BC, we see the, uh, the southern kingdom of Judea taken into Babylonian captivity, and they did not intermarry. So when they come back to their land, the Judean Jews feel like they are, they are the fullness of Jewish people. But the northern kingdom of Samaria, they were called half-breeds. They, it was incredibly racist because they intermarried. So the Judeans frowned upon the, the northern kingdom of Samaria. And, he, and that's what, y'all, that's what makes John chapter 4, would Jesus go into the woman at the well? Such an amazing story, by the way. It's a sermon for another day. But typically Jews who were leaving Judea to go to Galilee, they would double their trip. They would make a 140-mile trip out of a 70-mile trip because they didn't want to go through Samaria because they, they were like, we'll be unclean. We don't even want to see them. We don't want to be near them because they detested those people. But that's the exact place that Jesus sent. Philip on this missionary journey to go to the outsider. That's where he called him to go. Just to show you a little bit of this enmity, let me read you a couple ancient quotes. All right. This is an ancient quote from a rabbi. Let no man eat the bread of the Samaritans for he who eats their bread is as he who eats swine's flesh. That's mean. Can we, can we just agree with that? Like that's a religious leader. Okay. That's not nice. And you ready? This is a prayer. It's an ancient prayer. Lord, do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection. Y'all, if you've ever prayed a prayer like that, I'm praying for your salvation, all right? Because that's, that's straight up mean. The outsider, the marginalized, are being grafted into God's kingdom in Acts chapter 8. So let me posit something here. Philip was uniquely fashioned, positioned, and called to be the one to speak into the lives of the Samaritans. His experience and his gifts were used. He has a heart for pursuing what was next for the church, and that was to love the Samaritans in a way where he could empathize with the feelings of being an outcast and marginalized. Because Philip was a Hellenistic Jew. He knew what it felt like to be an outsider. 
So the pain that Philip would have felt as a Hellenistic Jew, the pain he would have felt as he saw the people he loved overlooked in Acts chapter six with the distribution of the food for the widows allowed Philip to speak into the Samaritan's life with compassion and understanding. Philip understood the pain of feeling neglected and sometimes disowned. Now God has led him to speak to an entire population that has felt this way for centuries. Hear this, Philip an outsider was sent to the outsiders. This is a reflection of the very heart of Jesus. We saw it in John chapter four. We see it in John chapter four with the woman at the well. Pursuing what's next always involves pursuing others. So take inventory of your life and ask yourself this question. Who are you pursuing? As you look ahead, as you dream of what's next for your life and maybe the plans that you are setting into place, is it with the lens of looking out at others and caring for them? And if you want to, just a side note, if you want to read about a guy who uh, doesn't do it for others and he does it for himself, you can just keep reading the rest of Acts chapter 8 right there because there's a guy named Simon the Magician and that's what he does and he tries to pay for the Holy Spirit. And let's just say this, it doesn't bode well for him, all right? But you can read that, uh, read that later. And we'll land here. It's the last point. Pursuing what's next can happen in the everyday. Pursuing what's next can happen in the everyday. Ross said this in a staff chapel a few months ago, and I loved it, and just wrote it down. He said, it doesn't have to be the next big trip. It is around the next corner. It's at your cubicle. The next time you're at the coffee shop, or the next time you're at a convenience store. I realize he used a lot of C's in that sentence. There's a lot of alliteration there. He probably, that's, how I, it's, that's why it was memorable. But what's next? Just right around the corner. We just have to have eyes and ears open to hear. It takes a sensitivity in us to the Spirit's leading and guidance. And it takes eyes that sees the people around us as image bearers of God. So let's go back to Philip, and we'll finish with the ending of this story. So then Philip is called after we see this entire village come to know Jesus. Peter comes in afterwards, and this village is, is brought into the kingdom of God. It's an amazing story. And then Philip has this incredible encounter where an angel of the Lord calls him to go south to, Ga- to Gaza, and what's always interested me, this is a side note of the story, is I wonder what it must have been like for Philip when he saw the kingdom expansion happening out throughout Jerusalem and Samaria, and then the Lord's like, hey, go away from all of that. But Philip is just like, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm going. He says yes to God's calling in his life. And that's where we pick up in verse 29. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. He's on the road to Gaza, and he sees this chariot on the side of the road. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Hey, can we not pause, like just overlook the fact that he sees this person that he feels like he can share the gospel with and he runs to him? He doesn't just like take a leisurely stroll to the person. There's a sense of urgency for kingdom expansion. There's a sense of urgency for the person that he sees because he wants him to know the gospel so deeply. Go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. This is taken from Isaiah 53. It's quite possibly one of the most famous prophecies that you read. Isaiah 52 and 53 is about the suffering servant. We see really the death of Jesus on the cross on display hundreds of years before it happened. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth and his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. 
Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Here's what's incredible, y'all. So the eunuch is reading Isaiah 53. And first you need to know this, he's an Ethiopian. So this is a black man from Ethiopia who is not a part of the Jewish faith. He wouldn't have been allowed to be at that time. But Jesus is resurrecting, the kingdom is expanding and he's invited in. But here's what's incredible. He's reading Isaiah 53, this prophecy of Jesus. Jesus has now come. Philip points him to Jesus and get this. Isaiah 54, Isaiah 55, and Isaiah 56 are all about the new covenant. And it's all about how Jesus, the suffering servant, is inviting the foreigner, is inviting the outsider, y'all, is inviting you and me into the kingdom. And you know what's amazing? Three chapters after this, in Isaiah 56, by name, the eunuch is called out and told that he will be grafted into the kingdom of God. So he just happens to be in this passage of scripture that's pointing to the suffering servant. He may feel like he's on the outside. There's no way I can be invited in. In that same prophecy, we're told that the, that the eunuch will be invited into the kingdom of God. That every single person is an image bearer. It's unbelievable. I love it so much. We read this in Isaiah 56, verse three. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from, this, from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. So Philip gets to point him to the gospel, point him to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and then says, and here's a promise for you. You've been grafted into the kingdom. He saw the prophecy regarding himself and the other outsiders come to fruition. And in his excitement, he's like, there's some water. Let's go get baptized right now. I'm ready. I'm all in this eunuch. Because he felt the love of Jesus. I mean, can we just pause there for a moment? That's the God we serve. This outsider is called to speak to the outsider and no longer are outsiders. They're God's people. They're children of the Father. Pursuing what's next can happen in the everyday. Philip's called to Gaza, but his eyes are open to what's happening around him on that journey. And then we see this person's life change because he's open to it. He's open to an interruption. The kingdom is advancing and God chooses to use us in his plan of expansion. And I'm so grateful for this. And I pray that we don't take this commission lightly. Ask God where you are to go next. Ask the Lord to give you eyes to see and ears to hear where he wants to use you. River Tree, he will use your gifts. He will use your uniqueness. But here's what's amazing too. He'll also use your weakness. He will use you. Not because he needs to, because he chooses to. I'll finish with another Ross quote that I loved. He said this, don't go there if you aren't going because you love Jesus and love others. I wonder if this has been the misstep in the activism of the church for a long time, that people know more about what we are against than they know about what we are for. That they hear more about their sin than that they are loved. I pray that's not our heart. I pray that people know that Jesus loves them deeply 
And I pray that that's our heart as we pursue what's next in our lives. So River Tree, go therefore in the authority of Jesus and make disciples of all nations. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you would commission us, that you would use us in our frailty and our weakness, despite all of that, that Jesus, you would choose to use us. So God, I pray that we would be open to opportunities to just see your kingdom expand. God, that we would be open to where you are leading us in our lives, that God, we would not find ourselves in the monotony of life and stuck in a rut, but that we would know that every single day there are opportunities for us to pursue what's next, to pursue people, to see your kingdom grow and your kingdom expand. And God, I pray that that is the heartbeat of River Tree, that when people come to this space, they will know what we are for. And we are for you, Jesus, to be proclaimed, to be modeled after, for us to look more and more like you, not by any power of our own, but by the sanctifying power of your spirit. Jesus, and we are promised, we are promised in Acts chapter 8 that the Spirit of God is for the people of God. So God, I pray that we are open and attentive to where you are leading, that our hearts would be softened for the world around us, that God, people would know that we are for you. So God, I pray that you would begin to cultivate a desire in our hearts to see your church expand, to see the kingdom expand. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity we have to gather here. I pray that we would worship you now in spirit and truth. That God, we would love you with all of our being, not just a part of us, but with our mind, our soul, our strength, and our hearts. That we would be responsive to the gospel with the declaration of your praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.